Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Uh, We went a lot of places this morning, and uh, I, I never quite got to the bridge I was trying to get to, but we'll get to it tonight, I believe. Uh, this morning, we began talking about, uh, the, about trusting in the Lord, and I want to pick up in Psalm chapter 5 on the topic or the, uh, the idea of trusting in the Lord. Uh, the, the emphasis I want to bring to you is how to move from that place of believing and continue in that process of believing until you arrive at the receiving. There are many aspects of the faith walk, the walk of faith, the things that we are believing for that require time. And it's not that we're waiting on God. There are some things that other people's obedience that we're waiting for. There are some things that just have a process to them. And very often believers lose the faith walk in that that process of time in between the moment they began believing and and they're still in process of receiving uh, and and waiting for the manifestation how do i keep my faith on how do i keep my faith plugged in how do i stay in faith with, without doubting, without wavering? How do I stay in faith without letting my uh, emotions uh, come out of my mouth? <laughs> How do I stay in faith during that time? And this is what I hope we can get into tonight. We, we talked a, about a lot this morning, and I encourage you to go back if you missed this morning because we covered a lot of very important issues that hinder people from the receiving uh, and, and in that time process. Uh, Psalm chapter 5 is uh, a verse that we have looked at frequently over the last year. And I'm not done with it, and I don't think the Lord's done with it. And so that means you get to hear it again. Psalm chapter 5 verse 11 says, But let all those that put their trust in you rejoice. If we have our trust in Him, then the, the proper response is rejoicing. Let all those who put their trust in God, let all those who put their trust in you, Lord, rejoice. Let them rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy. Now that's not shouting to get joy. That's shouting because I am so full of joy that it's coming out loudly. I am making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Why? Because my heart is full of joy and I have to let it out. It's, it's an overflow And so he says, let all those that uh, put their trust in you, let them rejoice, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Because you defend them. That word defend means to cover. Because you cover them. This trust that God's got me, this trust that God is protecting me, this trust that God is supplying for me, he's, he's got me covered. 
is going to be released and maintained with my rejoicing. My rejoicing allows me to stay in faith. It says also, let them that love your name be joyful in thee. Let them that love your name be joyful. So in one verse, we have seen three different references to our response. The first one is, those who trust in God rejoice. Let them shout for joy. Let them that love your name be joyful in thee. Hallelujah. For you will bless the righteous. With favor will you compass him or surround him as with a shield. That is connected in my rejoicing. The way for me to stay inside that shield of favor, inside that shield of protection and not break out of it because of what I see, not leave it because of what I feel. The way for me to stay in it is stay full of joy, stay rejoicing. Hallelujah. The, um, The instruction given to us in 1 Peter is one that we we visited a little bit but not a lot uh, as we have talked about joy. I want to to show you something from 1 Peter and I want to look at verse 1. 1 Peter 1 and we'll read down through uh, a, a few verses here. There's an important aspect for us to see and you know I indicated in my book, Pressure No Problem, that when I, I first began to walk with God, it kind, of, it kind of shook me when something negative would happen in my life because I, I thought, why? I, you know, I, I expected it when I was living in sin. I expected bad things to happen to me, it's, uh, difficult situations to come up. And, you know, I was a new believer. I was a baby in Christ and and something difficult would happen. And I would almost like lose my salvation over it because I thought, where have I failed? Am I a bad Christian? What did I do wrong? What have I done? Well, you know, I had to learn. There is an adversary. There's a curse on this earth. The, the enemy is walking around seeking whom he may devour. There, there are, are situations, but I had to learn how to walk in victory in the midst of difficult situations. And I had to learn that just because an adversity comes up doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything has changed. It doesn't mean that my victory is gone now because an adverse situation is present in my life. As long as God is there, and he is, he's an ever-present help. As long as, as God is on my side, who can be against me? That was something I had to learn. Well, when you read in First Peter, uh, you can see that this is something they had learned as well. First Peter, let's begin in verse 1. Uh, actually, let's go on down to verse um, 5. Uh, talking about for uh, you being the, the who, who you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations." that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. 
whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now, I'm going to go back through these verses and we're going to look at, some, at each of them individually, beginning actually in verse 6 where he says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. They were in a difficult situation. It would help me if we could read this from the Weiss translation. Verse 6 says, in which last season you are to be constantly rejoicing with a joy that expresses itself in triumphant exuberance. Constantly rejoicing with a joy that expresses itself in triumphant exuberance. But they were in heaviness with manifold temptations is uh, attack from every corner. Many fold. Manifold means variegated. It means uh, it, it's, it's, it's talking about not just your finances, but your finances and your health, and then a relationship and a family problem, and this is going on and this is going on. It's not just one thing. It's things piling up, coming against you. He said the way for you to respond when these manifold temptations, this difficult situations trying you on every hand, the way for you to respond is to be constantly rejoicing with a joy that expresses itself in triumphant exuberance. Triumphant exuberance is I'm joyful because I win. Yeah, but you're, you're stacked up with problems on every hand. That means nothing. I win. So I might as well just enjoy my victory in advance. I don't have to wait until they lift my hand and say, the winner. No, Jesus already lifted me up and, and declared me the winner. So even though the situations are piling up, they can be unpiled as quickly as they piled up because I've already been pronounced more than a conqueror. I've already been pronounced uh, overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. It's already been declared that God causes me to triumph. He always causes me to triumph. So if I believe that, and, and it said we're kept by the power of God through faith, I've got to stay believing so that the power of God can keep working. Do you remember what uh, Ephesians 3 says? God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think according to, in harmony with the power that works in you. So God's able to keep me. A thousand fall at my side and 10,000 can fall at my right hand, but God's able to keep me. If I keep the power switch of faith activated, turned on, I got to keep the switch on. I got to keep the lights on. Pastor Steele used to say, as long as he says, uh, Pastor Steele used to make the statement about uh, fighting the battle. He said, we're playing on my home field. So that means I can keep the lights on as long as I want. We're going to keep the lights on till I win. Until I win. And so we are already declared victorious. And he says, 
in this season of trying, in a season of difficulty, when things are piling up, uh, be constantly rejoicing with a joy that expresses itself in triumph, in triumphant exuberance. Triumphant exuberance. We need to triumph before the triumph is announced. We need to just go ahead and announce the victory because we know what the word which is established forever in heaven has declared about our end. We are more than conquerors. Amen. Amen. So it says here, you greatly rejoice. Be constantly rejoicing in that difficult time. It says the trial of your faith being your faith which is much more precious than of gold that perishes though it be tried with fire. So it's comparing our faith to gold. And if they, for them to, when, when they try gold, when they put gold in the furnace, they put the gold in the furnace and, and it, whatever's not real gold is going to get evaporated. It's going it's to dissolve. And the real gold is what's going to come out. And hear me when I say this. God does not bring the fire. God does not cause the fire. God does not initiate the fire, but God is the one who keeps you in the fire so that when you come out, you come out with pure trust. You come out, you come, you're coming out because you're going in trusting. Amen. People say, oh, God did it to, to prove me. God did this. He, he brought, God is not the author of evil and don't let anybody say when they are tempted that they're tempted of God. Don't say it. That scripture, James chapter one, don't say when I'm tempted, God's tempting me. God allowed it. God let this happen to me so that he could, he could see that I was faithful to him. God let this happen so I could minister to this person in the hospital bed next to me. God let this. No, don't say that. God isn't the one who has allowed any evil. He is not the author of evil. He does not tempt anybody with evil, but he's the one with you in the fire. He's the one who walks in the fire with me. He's the one who keeps me in the fire so that I shall not be burned. He's the one who, who walks me through that situation victorious. Amen. With, a, with my peace intact, I can rest in the midst of the storm. Why? Because he's with me. And so this is, is important because if there is an idea that God is the one who authored it, that God is the one who initiated the, the difficulty, then it would be hard for you to trust him in it. It would be hard for you to resist what needs to be resisted that the enemy's bringing. It would be hard to stay in faith if I thought God was the one who did it. Where would my faith stance be? What's, what scripture could I stand on if I, if, if I thought God authored sickness then it would be disobedience for me to try to get well. If I thought God broke my leg, then should I even get a cast on it? Now, I know that sounds crazy to some. Only, only people who have been deceived in religious thinking would think that would even sound normal. But you're, hear me, there are still a lot of people who think that way. Because there's still a lot of deception that's been taught to people. Well, don't try to, to, to get healed of that. You might you got to learn what God wants you to learn. God gave me his word to teach me. God does not teach with sickness. 
He does not teach with adversity. He does not teach with financial difficulty. He teaches by his word. He put, he put the pastors and teachers, the fivefold ministry gifts of the apostle, the prophet, pastor, teacher in the church, evangelists in the church to help mature the saints, to help me grow up. He doesn't bring sickness or disease or financial difficulty to help me grow up. You know, there were people that thousands, 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 did you hear me? Thousands of people died in the wilderness. The wilderness didn't make them better. The wilderness didn't help them get closer to God. And people still preach this wilderness idea that, oh, it's God's taking me through. Jesus went to the wilderness for me. God's not taking me into the wilderness. I don't have to go to the wilderness. There were people who died in the wilderness. The only people who came out of the wilderness were people who refused to think like the wilderness-minded people thought. The people who said, God is more than able. God is for us. If God be with us, we could go up today. Those are the people that went in. Not the people that thought, God brought us out here in the wilderness to die. They didn't go in. They died in the wilderness. Have mercy. When we experience difficulty, we've got to have this clear. We've got to know God is my keeper. He's my shelter. He's my refuge. He's my hope. He's my strength. He's my, he loves me. He, he, he's the rock of ages. He is my rock of ages. That he, he shelters me in that, in that cleft of the rock. We've got to know it so that we can be rejoicing and maintaining our strength because in the rejoicing is where I get strong. If I'm, if I'm just tying the knot at the end of the rope, I'm going to wear out. If I'm just hanging on till the going on comes on, I'm going to wear out. If I'm thinking that God did it and I've just got to walk through it and be patient, there's only so far that human natural patience can hold me until I come to the end of it and give up and admit defeat. So the keeping, verse 5, you are kept by the power of God through faith. Faith is confident. Faith is trusting. Faith is expecting that God has already established my victory in this. And then I enter into this constant rejoicing with a joy that expresses itself in triumphant exuberance. Hallelujah. Let me see if I have a comparison here from another scripture for that one. Let's go on at verse 7 is where I want to look at another comparison of a translation. It says in verse 7 that this trying of my faith, which is more important than putting gold in the fire, that this trying, that my faith is more important than the gold. It says my faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. And even though my faith is under duress in this situation that it's going to be found with praise. I'm going to add praise with my faith. And when, when it comes to the end of this, you're going to see that I'm still praising. Do you see that? That it might be found to praise and honor and glory. All of those things are rejoicings. 
giving praise to God, giving honor to God, giving glory to God are all expressions of my exuberant, triumphant praise. Amen. So, it, so as, the, as, I am in, as I am encountering these different things, the way I respond is joy and praise to who God is, not for what I'm going through. I'm not praising Him for the trial. I'm praising Him in the trial, and that's the way to fast forward through the trial. Let me tell you, if you want to just put the pedal to the metal and accelerate your way out of that difficulty, get your praise up to maximum. That's what James said, and we'll probably look at that before we go very much further, but, but he, said, he said, consider it maximum joy. Yeah. It, not time for t- level two joy, not time for level four joy, not just a little bit of joy. Oh, praise the Lord. No, it's time to max it out. I mean, crank it. <laughs> so it says that during this difficult time, our faith needs to be found with praise and honor and glory. Verse 8 says, whom, uh, Having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing, believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let me read this one from the Weiss translation. It says, it, for this, the last part where it says, Believing you rejoice, it says, You are to be rejoicing with an inexpressible and glorified joy. Have you ever got so full of joy that it was hard for you to express it? Let me tell you what happened to me the the night that pastor walked in with the, I had been believing, we had been releasing our faith for debt freedom for for months, nine months. And one night he walked in with the full amount to pay all of the student loan debt that was still hanging on. Sally Mae was still in the house. And he walked in with the, the final amount. Someone had called and said, Pastor, what are you believing for? And we had it exactly to the dollar, what we were believing for. And that night, that's what that person sowed into our life. And when, when he walked in and set that down in front of me and he said, we are officially out of debt, I couldn't breathe for a moment. I, I could, I, for a few moments. Yeah. I, I jumped, I ran the length of the couch. I think I, I hopped over every piece of furniture. I rolled on the floor. I was crying. Tears were coming out of my eyes. I was, I was, I was rolling on the floor. I, y'all would have thought I had lost my mind. One of my children was in the house and they came running out. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Tell me what happened? What happened? What happened? I couldn't speak. I could not speak. I was so, I was so full of joy. I was so exuberant about what God had done. All I could do was cry and laugh and cry and laugh and cry and roll on the floor. I couldn't even sit still. I mean, I had never experienced anything like it. I, I really, it, it shocked me. I, and I couldn't stop it either. I, it was so abundant in me because my faith had been so focused yeah. in believing God for this that when it came into manifestation, 
my joy overflowed. And I just kept laughing. And one of the scriptures, one of the, it was actually a prophecy that Brother Copeland had given, that, that the Lord had given through Brother Copeland and about that year that there would be suddenlies. And all I could say was, I just got a suddenly. I just got a suddenly. I just got a suddenly. Hallelujah. Now that happened because of an answer, a manifestation of a promise. But God is asking us to get to that point before we see anything. God is asking to move into that fullness of joy before we even have any natural manifestation or evidence. He actually says we should be doing that in the difficult time. That we should get to such a place that it is joy unspeakable... It is joy that is inexpressible and glorified. When, when we begin to get over to that, that flow of joy, what happens is God's glory is in it. We'll, the manifestation of God's glory gets in that joy. And let me read this from uh, the message translation. It says... Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it includes part of verse 7. It says, yet you trust him with laughter and singing. When in verse 7 where it says that your joy would be, that, that you would be found, your faith would be found unto praise and honor and glory. The message says, you trust him with laughter and singing. Is that a way to trust God? With laughter and singing? Well, let me tell you what doesn't express trust. Crying and moaning. That's not, that, there's no trust in that. It's like, what are you crying for? What are you crying about? Oh, gloom, despair, agony on me. Oh, what are you crying about? Does that honor him? Is there any glory in that? Is there any praise in that? No, no. What's going to honor God is that in the midst of it, I'm saying, God's got it. God's got it, the miracle that I desire, he's gonna set my soul on fire, he's the almighty God that's true, he's prepared a miracle right now for me, that's gonna honor him, if it seems impossible to do, God's got it, that's what's gonna honor him. That in the midst of that difficult situation, I'm giving glory. I'm giving praise. I've got, I'm trusting him with laughter and singing. Amen. Trusting God with laughter and singing. Let that stick in your mind. How, how do you express, I trust you? <laughs> glory to God. Hallelujah. And then it says, you trust him with laughter and singing. And then about verse 9, the Amplified says this. You believe and you exult you thrill with inexpressible and glorious, triumphant, heavenly joy. You thrill, exult with glorious, inexpressible, triumphant, heavenly joy. So my believing is connecting with my joy. One way that you could say it is faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Doubt despairs, complains, and is sad. That's what the Holy Spirit spoke to Brother Keith Moore. 
Faith rejoices, gives thanks, and is glad. Well, we see it right here. Faith needs to be accompanied with praise, glory, and honor. It says, uh, going back to verse 8 in the King James, it says, yet believing you rejoice. Believing you rejoice. So if I'm believing, I'm rejoicing. One way for me to maintain that time between the initial release of my faith and the, the time process that I need to walk through to see the manifestation, one way for me to maintain my strength during that time is I'm believing, so I'm rejoicing. I'm believing and rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Look at verse 9, receiving. If I'm believing and rejoicing, I'm receiving. Receiving the end of your faith. When am I receiving it? When I'm, re when I'm believing it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't receive when I see it. The only reason I would wait to rejoice when I see it is that I haven't believed I received it yet. And what, I, what I'm saying, if I say, well, okay, I'll get glad. Now, concerning my, my uh, faith project of coming out of debt, I had been exercising my faith and making my declarations and saying, thank you, Father, I'm out of debt, and, and being thankful and, and rejoicing just in obedience to the word. I thank you, Lord, I'm out of debt. Think, and we talked about that this morning, thinking of things I would do different if I was out of debt. And, and so that fullness of joy. But as we learn and we grow and we, um, we see the fruit of our rejoicing in times of adversity, we'll go to that as a a greater way of dealing with that difficult situation. Brother Hagen, he often said, I rejoice more when I'm in a difficult situation than just when it seems like things are going good. Because he had learned that's the key. That's the key to getting through the difficult situation at a greater acceleration. So when we see that the rejoicing is the bridge between the believing and the receiving. Believing, we rejoice, receiving the end of our faith. So as I am continuing in my believing, I believe I have received. My joy is the way to express that and to maintain that faith in my, in my life. Praise God. Now, um, let's look at... Uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 22. Jesus is preparing the disciples before he goes to the cross. And this important truth that he uh, has revealed for us uh, is something to be received with our faith. It says... And you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. In that day you will ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever you shall, uh, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto, before now, you have asked nothing in my name, 
ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Full joy. That's what he wants us to live in, a consistent state of full joy. Two things I want us to identify here. In after his resurrection and his victory over sin, sickness, and disease, and death, Jesus, as our Lord, now has a, a supplied for us a joy. He said, your joy no man takes from you. So the joy that's available to us now is not, is not a joy that is natural. It's not a joy that is human. It's not a joy of the emotions. It is a, a supernatural force and it's available to us. And if we will choose to maintain our connection to it, it will not be affected by anybody or anything. My joy is no longer, my joy in Christ is a joy that not one person on this planet can affect it if I don't let them. Not one difficult situation on this planet can interrupt my joy if I don't allow it. That's important because a lot of people are still identifying happiness and they think it's joy. And what happens is, when things are good, then they're happy and they think, well, I'm joyful. But then when a difficult situation arises, they, they, I, they allow their, their emotion, they allow their, their response to get in line with what's happening. And now they're, they're just going with whatever wave is, is coming. If it's good, I'm happy. If it's not, I'm not. Well, that's not joy. That's not, and that's not helpful. For us to experience the continual victory, we've got to maintain joy. We've got to continually be joyful. We've got to be glad. We've got to recognize that doesn't change my joy. I can still be joyful no matter what's happening. I, I am not a victim to what just happened. I am, I am not controlled by what just happened. I'm controlled by the word. Are we word governed? then we're not, it, we're not situation governed. Amen. We're not circumstance governed. We're not bad report governed. We're not, we're not adversity uh, driven. We're word driven. We're word governed. And that means we have joy regardless of what's happened. Hold your place here and look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 17 Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. So their joy, this person is saying, my joy is not affected by, by what happened by the difficult situation. Why? Because God didn't change. Your circumstance may have changed, but that doesn't change who God is. The situation may look evil, but that doesn't change God's ability to bring you out of it. God hasn't changed, and if my joy is established in who He is, then my joy doesn't change. So I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 
The Lord is my strength and he will make my feet like hind's feet and he will make me to walk upon my high places. So what this, this scripture is identifying is that if I keep my joy, I keep my victory no matter if there's no harvest. It doesn't matter if there's no, uh, no, no meat in the, the herds. There's no supply coming here, no supply coming here. I still, I'm still covered. Remember our first verse in Psalm 511? Remember that verse? Because he covers me. He covers me. He defends me. I trust in him. Let those who trust in the Lord rejoice. Let them shout for joy because he covers me. He defends me. Hallelujah. So my praise is based on who he is as my defender, not on what is happening in the situation. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have access to joy now that nobody can touch. Nobody can affect it. Not one thing can stop you from being joyful. And then in verse 24, he says, you, he says ask in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. The Weiss translation says that your joy, having been filled completely full, might persist in that state of fullness in present time. Now, when I experienced that exuberant joy that made me cry and roll on the floor and and jump all over my furniture, uh, that exuberant joy came because I had asked and received. And, and I was experiencing that full joy. Yes. Amen? And that's what God wants for us. That's God's idea. Mm-hmm. He wants us to ask and receive. And that's the, the main element He speaks of giving us Jesus' name is so that we can ask and receive and ask and receive and ask and receive again and ask and receive so that we can constantly be asking. Now, now we're asking... Uh, uh, in, we are putting this together with chapter 15 where it says that if my word abides in you and you abide in my word, you will ask what you will and you, uh, it will be given unto you. So he's, we're, this is word-based asking. This is, this is godly people asking, godly kind of asking. This isn't somebody who isn't serving God and doesn't want the things of God coming and asking for, for ungodly things or for things just to uh, uh, fulfill their own lust. We know from Scripture that he says that they were asking a misc and they didn't receive. So, so we're talking about my word, the, God's word is in my heart. My heart is full of his word. I love him. He loves me. I'm asking in Jesus' name. I'm receiving. My joy is full and it is continuing in that full state. Isaiah 51 talks about this full joy and refers to it as everlasting one of the scriptures we'll look at uses the word eternal. Let's look at Isaiah 51.11 first. 51.11 says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord, that's you and I, we are redeemed. The redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, to the church, to the body of believers, come with singing. They shall return coming with singing and Everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. 
Well, we've already been redeemed and we've already come into the body. And so that means we already have everlasting joy and we've already obtained the gladness and this joy. So we should resist the sorrow and the mourning. What, what reason would any of us ever have to sorrow as long as Jesus is my Lord? When we really see Him for who He is and what He's done, the way He loves us, how could we ever enter into feeling sorry for ourselves? He's so good to us. I mean, that's why the rejoicing is for our benefit. When, when I first got saved, I thought rejoicing was because God needed it. Somehow I got this idea that God needed my praise for Him to be who He is. <laughs> I don't know where you get some of these ideas, you know, when you first come into the body of Christ. Praise God for the light of the Word, right? God doesn't need our praise. We need what praise does for us. Our praise helps us keep Him in the right place of honor and, and keeps the, it strengthens us. Hallelujah. So they return with joy and obtain gladness and joy. Back up to chapter 35 and let's look at verse 10. Isaiah 35, 10, refer, it's the same verse... Uh, it's in here twice. We're going to read it both ways. This one refers to us as the ransomed. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So one says it's the ransomed of the Lord. The other says it's the redeemed of the Lord. They both use the word everlasting joy. They both use this word everlasting joy upon their heads. Everlasting joy is the same word that we would be, uh, that we would translate as eternal. And the word eternal and everlasting are not talking about a time. They're talking about a quality. Everlasting or eternal means never diminishing in power never losing value, never diminishing in power, never diminishing in value, never diminishing in ability. So this joy never diminishes. It never fades. It never wears out. It is as strong as it was the day Jesus gave it. He said, my joy I give unto you. So the joy that we have can't be touched by people or circumstances or situations as long as we choose to continue in it. It is a joy that doesn't diminish. In other words, your joy isn't going to go down because of all the difficulty. Amen. It's Amen. not going to be smothered by what you're going through. It's not going to be exhausted by how much you've been using it. It's not going to be like, okay, I'm almost at the end of my joy tank. As long as I'm continually rejoicing, I'm, I, am, I am rejoying. Rejoicing. I am, I am refilling my joy tank. Yeah. If I stop rejoicing, then it's not, my, it's not God's end that the joy has diminished. It's, it's, 
I just hadn't plugged into it. I need to charge my battery back up. I, and that's why we've got to develop a lifestyle of joy. We've got to be skilled. We've got to be proficient. We've got to be joyers. We've got to be joyers. We've got to, we've got to make joy an emphasis in our day and our, our time that we take time to rejoice. If a, uh, when you go to the airport, they, they, this is new in the last few years, in the last five or seven years. They have charging stations and people are all huddled around this one table at the airport lobby waiting for their plane and all, all of their devices are plugged in because they know I need battery power. I need some power in my phone. If I want to use this phone, if I want to read my, my iBook on the plane, if I want to, to play this game or watch this movie or whatever, I'm going to need power. And so that I, I remember when uh, uh, one of my children, uh, during her teenage years, she, uh, she always lost her charger for one thing. Angela was always losing her charger. I mean, I bought that child more chargers than I, I've ever bought for myself ever. And she was always losing her charger or breaking her charger uh, uh, something. And everywhere we went, that child was on the phone so much that her battery would always run down. I mean, she, she didn't leave the house without a charger. I'd never seen anything like it. I think, now, I'm techie. I've got devices, you know, but I'd never seen anybody access their battery so much that their battery would just go down all the time. I mean, uh, it, she, she carried a charger with her everywhere. And everywhere, every time we would go, like, to a doctor's appointment, driver's license or whatever, she's always like, Mom, i got to sit by a chair that's got a charger next to it. She's walking around the restaurants looking for plugs to plug in. In her phone. We need to be that way about joy. We need to be so accessing our joy that we're constantly needing to charge it. We're constantly needing to rejoice so that our phone, our battery of our joy can be fully charged at all times. It says, uh, let's read over in uh, Isaiah chapter 12 and we're going to uh, look at, at something <clears throat> specific in Isaiah chapter 12 because we want to know how do we joy? What are some things that we can do? What is the correct biblical method for rejoicing and joying? Is it just me saying, oh, praise the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah? Well, this helps us. In Isaiah 12, let's look. I'm going to go ahead and read. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And we have taught on this frequently, how that joy is an accessing point for the salvation flow. Joy is a container to draw out of the saving power of God. And this word salvation, of course, includes healing. It includes prospering. It includes well-being of any sort. It is the word uh, uh, shalom. And it is talking about uh, the, the fullness of God, a life that is full with nothing missing, nothing broken. And the way to access it is joy. With joy, you'll draw the salvation, the rescue that you need. 
But notice it says, and well, let's read on. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his, go- his doings among the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing unto the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, you inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Well, we see the how-tos right here. This is the expression. First of all, he says, say it. Say the words, praise the Lord. So for a person to be joyful, you're going to have to open your mouth. For you to be rejoicing, we need to say, praise the Lord. I, I... a few years back, I was visiting some family uh, some, uh, that I, I hadn't seen a lot. And uh, they aren't necessarily a church-going group. And uh, I, I did not realize how often I said it until I got around them. And every time I would say it, they would look at me like it was weird for them to hear it. But I, I say, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I say that often, and to me, it's normal. To me, it's just my normal way of talking. That's how I speak. But but for them, it was so odd, they were looking to see why I said it. What happened? (laughs) Nothing happened. I'm just praising him. Did did you get some news? Why, Why are you worshiping? Why are you saying glory to God? Because I do all that. I do all the time. I say that all the time. I just, glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Combing my hair. I'm just, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise your name. It's something that's normal to me. I didn't realize how often I said it until I got around them and was spent the day around them. And when I would say it, their head would turn. Like, what? Excuse me. I just having a conversation that's all right it it was a shock so praise the lord say it praise the lord open your mouth in the morning get up and say praise you lord i praise the lord thank you father hallelujah glory to god make that a part i mean intentionally put it in your mouth throughout the day out loud saying it not to anybody else just to yourself to him praise the lord Praise the Lord. Just allow that to become a normal part of your conversation. Hallelujah. I I don't think Kim realizes it, uh, but as I traveled with her and and I'm in the office next to her, I hear her. She'll go, hmm. She didn't realize she was doing that. I said, do you realize how often you say, hmm. And, And it's just a sweet little, it's a sound, it's, it's like always a satisfied little sigh. Hmm. It's much better than people who go, oh, yeah. you know, and making bad sounds. Kim is always just, hmm. <laughs> and and I, that's something that you don't realize until you're around somebody. Well, that's how we can be with the Lord. We can have that, just an unconscious praise. I say unconscious. Something that we are are so inclined to do that it doesn't require an event to make us say it. It, it, It's it's just our natural conversation with him. And so that's the first thing here in verse 4. The next thing it says is call upon or proclaim. That word can also, the center column 
of my reference says that that means proclaim his name. So call upon his name often to us gives us the idea of an asking. I'm calling because I'm asking. But it means also to proclaim his name. Great is the name of the Lord. And, and praise the Lord, proclaim his name. Proclaim his name. I began years ago, and I think it was because Brother Copeland had taught on it so much about declaring Jesus as Lord. I mean, if you look at the Copeland's ministry, their, 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 their every broadcast, Jesus is Lord. They end it with Jesus is Lord. He's got it written all over his newsletters, all over his... That's something that's incorporated. Jesus is Lord. I mean, their logo is a world with Jesus is Lord stamped over it because that's part of his vision is to declare and proclaim Jesus' name throughout the world. Well, that got in me and I began... And when I'll say it, I can recognize the power of the Spirit behind what I'm saying, declaring Jesus is Lord over this house. Jesus is Lord over my finances. I'm, I'm proclaiming the name of the Lord over what pertains to me, giving Him authority, giving Him authority over my car. He's got authority over my house. He's got authority in my finances. Jesus is Lord here. Jesus is Lord. And, and so that is one of the ways of rejoicing. And then it says, declare his doings among the people. Declare his doings among the people. When you begin to talk about how good God has been to you, when you begin talking about what God did for somebody in your family, what God did for somebody in your church, it's glorifying him. You're being strengthened. Other people are being strengthened. We heard this morning uh, about a woman who had an issue of blood. She had no hope. Everything she had tried got worse and worse and worse until she heard talk about Jesus. They were declaring his doings, and she heard it. She heard. She, nobody personally, there's no evidence in the Bible that anybody personally came and witnessed to her. She just heard people talking about what Jesus had done for somebody else. And faith came and that woman's entire life was rewritten because she heard testimony of other people talking about what God had done for somebody else. Hallelujah. Declare his doings among the people. The next thing, amen, the next thing it says is indicate uh, his authority. When it says here, his name, make mention that his name is exalted. That's, that's talking about you recognizing the authority. Jesus, when, when we say the name of Jesus, when we say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name, don't get so... Um, so familiar with that passage that it doesn't mean anything to you. Instead, I, I, I will switch it up sometimes and I'll say, Father, I come to you in the name that is above every name. I come to you in the name of Jesus who is uh, uh, exalted above all, seated in heavenly places. I come, why? Because what I want to do is identify to myself his authority. That's what it's talking about when it says, make mention that his name is exalted. It's talking about the authority where he sits. 
that make it's talking about the um, the dominion in that name. The the uh, the exalted is referring to it, that there's not anything greater. Why? Because he's he's in the the most high position. The next thing it says is sing unto the Lord. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It doesn't have to be pretty. Don't disqualify yourself because you don't, because you don't have a voice that is recording voice material. Just because we're not uh, at a level that we can go win a talent contest or record a CD or an album doesn't mean we can't sing into the Lord. When it says you inhabit he that inhabiteth the praises of Israel, that word inhabit means to sit on the throne. And the word praise is specifically the praises that are sung. He sits on the throne when we sing praises. So you can sing whether you can sing or not. <laughs> you can sing unto God whether you should be singing in public or not. Let me say it that way. So, so don't disqualify yourself. Well, I can't ever enter. In a, if it needs to be in the shower, if you need to sing in your prayer closet, sing to the Lord. Get when you're driving down the road by yourself and nobody else. Just roll the windows up. Sing and everybody else is going to think you're singing with the radio. Just don't worry about it. Sing unto the Lord because he inhabits the praises, the, sung, the singing praises of his people. Sing unto the Lord. For he has done excellent things. The next instruction is cry out and shout. This is talking about lifting your voice in triumph, which is referring back again to what we were talking about, that triumphant exuberance. Mm -hmm. Lifting your voice in triumph. When they would shout, it was a victory. It was a victory indicator. Uh, do you remember that? when they would bring the Ark of the Covenant, which would represent the presence of God, onto the battlefield, the people would shout. Why? Because God's with us. The, the Ark of the Covenant just got here. And, and it would be an indicator. The enemy knew we're in trouble now. They've got God with them. And it was their shout that gave that indicator. That shout is... Uh, something that God can get in. When, when they shouted, the walls of Jericho fell. Why? Because God got in their shout. It wasn't just the natural tone that, that took the walls down. It was the glory and the exuberance and the victory and the faith in the shout. Praise. Hallelujah. So when it says cry out and shout, it's not a, it's not a, a shouting just to be loud it's shouting because i have the victory it's a victory indicator yeah. it's it's to let hoorah you know it's it's that it's to let you know i'm winning hallelujah i'm winning and so this these are instructions and i'm going to compare this and we'll close in psalm 100 psalm 100 also gives us instruction for how to joy how to rejoice it is the psalm that begins with making a joyful noise. And again, it doesn't have to be pretty. If it has joy in it, God likes the sound of it. 
It doesn't have to be in key. It doesn't have to be on, on, uh, on, on tone. It doesn't have to be in rhythm. As long as there's joy in the sound, God loves it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. So the first thing we see is the joyful noise. Make some noise that's got joy in it. Secondly, serve the Lord gladly. Don't serve God sadly. Don't look at anything He's asked you to do and let it be a drudgery to you. Whether it is vacuuming the floor at the church, greeting at the front door, uh, uh, cleaning the bathroom, uh, uh, picking, uh, straightening the chairs, whatever God has asked you to do, it's an honor. Yes, it is. Whatever you have to do, serving the Lord, none of it is a drudgery. Don't allow it to be something that you, you drudgery. There was a, a commercial about a, a donut shop or something. I don't know, that man who got, oh, it was Dunkin' Donuts or something, and he would get up early in the morning, yeah. and you could see him shuffling to work in his pajamas with his house shoes on. Gotta make the donuts. <laughs> don't come into the house of God shuffling in your pajamas. Come with gladness. Listen, when we get back together, I, I'm just, we've been, I was working with the praise team this morning. I said, we've got to, we got to have like a month-long party that, that the doors are open and we get to have everybody back together again and celebrate. Let's celebrate. Celebrate. <laughs> well, serve the Lord with gladness. Whatever you have that you can do for God, do it gladly. Serving the Lord in your prayer time, serving the Lord in, in worshiping Him through, through study and, and, and all of the different interactions you have with Him, do it gladly. Do it gladly. Serve Him gladly. It says here to come with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. And the more you see this, the more you realize this is proper protocol. It is inappropriate to come in all sour-faced. It is inappropriate to walk in the door complaining to God. It's inappropriate to walk in all sad and gloomy and despairing. It is, it is bad taste. <laughs> proper protocol in His presence is, Good morning, Lord. You're so good to me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you always, you always cause me to triumph. Thank you, Lord, that I'm an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Lord, that you're, you're, you're making me the head and not the tail. Thank you, Lord. Even if you feel like saying something else, don't say it. Come glad. Hallelujah. Serve the Lord gladly. Come with singing. The next thing it says, and this is important, verse 3 Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. One of the important foundational aspects of our worship, our rejoicing, of our gladness is acknowledging Him. Acknowledging Him as, as our Maker. You made me. 
I wouldn't eat. You, you formed me in my mother's womb. Before I even took a breath, you had already planned my life. You had already pre- prepared good things for me. Put a destiny on the inside of me. You, God. And when you begin to think of how he is your maker, how you are his, then everything else looks so, so un, unintimidating. You're not intimidated by that because I'm his. He made me. He created me. How can I fear that when I have him on my side? Amen. Acknowledge him. And then it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an entry point. Come into his courts with praise. Courts are are further in. So there is a a process of our thankfulness moving into praise, moving into worship, which takes us into a greater intimacy. It says, be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. If we will practice joy, if we will develop our joy, we will, it is the bridge between the believing and the receiving. It says, believing you rejoice, receiving the end of your salvation. It's the bridge. You can build that bridge every day. You can walk that bridge every day by just exercising joy, keeping your joy connected.